Happy New Year, Faith. Are you feeling good? Hallelujah. Do you like who you are sitting next to? Because if you don't, you can change your seat in the name of social distancing. Just move, just move. Even at your house, just go to the kitchen if you're tired of who you're with. Uh, it is an absolute honor and a privilege to be back, to be back here at Faith Assembly. Uh, Pastor Carl uh, introduced me and was so kind, but uh, he said I'm a guest, but the reality is I'm family. I hope you know that. That is real talk. I have... Uh, been coming to faith for so many years now. I'll never forget the first time I came and had the privilege to preach to mainstream. I was single and not even married then, and now I'm happily married, got a mortgage, three kids, four chest hairs. I'm grown now, people. I'm grown. <laughs> and uh, just amazing to see God's faithfulness uh, throughout the years and how incredible uh, this church is. You do know you're a part of an incredible church, right? I hope you know that. I pray that you never take this church for granted. I pray you never take your leaders for granted. I'm in a season of life where I am so appreciative of leaders who have been consistent and leaders who have been faithful. And you are blessed with consistent and faithful pastors and leaders. Come on, I think we ought to give honor to our honors due and thank God for Pastor Carl and Alice. Come on, you could do better than that across every location. Would you let them know how much you love them? Come on, I want them to turn red in the face because they feel the appreciation. Come on, somebody. We ought to give honor to where honor is due. And certainly to God be the glory, but uh, you have no idea the weight that comes with leadership, especially uh, with a year like we had last year. So thank you, Pastor Carl and Alice, for your faithfulness, and Pastor Johnny, just the whole team here. I'm so grateful. They know a lot of preachers in a lot of places, but I'm glad that you called on this chocolate brother from the great country of Texas uh, to come preach to you today on the first Sunday of the year. Hey, it's been a while since I've been here, and I said I am family. Let me show family to family. Can I show y'all the Madu crew? Y'all got that picture? Put my family on the screen. Come on, somebody. Hey, that's my crew right there. Right there on the right, that is my son, my man-child. It's Robert Madu III. In fact, my father is here, Robert Madu I. So you've seen the first, second, and the third. And he's being held by my beautiful wife, my baby mama, Taylor Madu. And then right next to her is my firstborn, Everly Adair Madu. I call her Evie. She is six. And then right next to her, holding Minnie Mouse, is Remington Elaine. She is my youngest and our last. Amen. I call, I call her Remy Ma, Remy Ma, and y'all need to pray for her for real, for real. She is not saved and uh, <laughs> needs some serious intercession, but that's my youngest. But that's the Madu crew, so if you're wondering why I have this glow emanating from my face, it's not just because I use exfoliating skin products. Uh, it's because I am a blessed man with an awesome family who would let me come to Faith Assembly to preach to you today. So. It's going to be good. I want to jump straight into the Word of God. I really believe that this Word is going to set you up for all that God wants to do in you and through you this year. Amen? Uh, go with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And I'm going to look at verses 23 through 28. And we'll also read Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Mark chapter 2. If you got a Bible, would you wave it in the air like you just do care? Come on. Some of your Bibles are glowing. Thank you for charging up your Bible today. I know it's been a while. Let me remind you, I am a hollaback preacher, okay? That means whether you are in the sanctuary or any other campus or online, it is illegal for you to just sit there and just go. 
No, if you're feeling anything I'm saying, say amen, say preach that, say mm, that was good. You can stand up in the middle and go, ooh, that was for me. <laughs> you can stand up in the middle and go, ooh, that was for you. For real, you needed that. Any one of those will work. Mark chapter 2, and it says, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? And in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful for only the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand, another version says withered hand, was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored, completely restored. And the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Can you say amen? Ooh, there's so much in this text that I love. First of all, it's interesting to me that this is what put the plot in motion for Jesus to be killed. The healing of this man's hand. Can you imagine being in the service? Somebody's hand gets healed. Some people are shouting, going hallelujah. And you got other people going, we got to kill Jesus because of what he's doing. I could have easily titled this message, When Healing You Is Gonna Kill Me. But that's not my title for this message today because... I love that this man's hand was completely restored. And I just believe that 2021 is going to be a year of restoration. A year of restoration. Come on, somebody needs to receive that by faith today. Can anybody say there's some things that need to be restored in my life this year? This is the year of restoration. And I want to preach to you today using this as a title, Where Restoration Starts. The start of the year, let's talk about where restoration starts. Would you bow your head? I want to pray one more time. It'll be a long prayer, uh, but just bear with me. Uh, God, you're awesome. Speak today. Amen. Where restoration starts. It has often been said, faith family, that hindsight is 2020. As we stand at the beginning of 2021, how many of you know that is literal? Hindsight is 2020. 2020 has come and gone, and we stand here in a new year. I don't know about you, but 2020 taught me some lessons. 
a myriad of lessons. The first lesson I learned in 2020 with the stay-at-home shelter and I was in the house with our three little humans. First lesson I learned from 2020 is that our teachers are underpaid, way underpaid. <laughs> Believe me when I tell you, make some noise for the teachers. Send them your stimulus check. It's real in these streets. Teachers is underpaid. That was the first lesson of 2020. 2020 also taught me that one of the greatest abilities that you can have is adaptability. It's adaptability. When you are not stuck to one way of doing things, the ability to adapt, to pivot, to see that God is doing something new and you have to be able to adapt to that. That was a lesson in 2020. But another thing I learned in 2020 that was not really a lesson, but was a reminder, and that is the church of the living God is not optional. The church is essential. Oh, come on, somebody. Believe me when I tell you the church is essential. I can do with a bad barber, I'll just have a bad haircut. I can do with a bad dentist, my tooth will hurt for a little bit. I can deal with a bad plumber, it'll just mess up my house. But I need the church of the living God. I need to be able to worship. I need hope. I need encouragement. I need some good news. Come on, somebody. Every once in a while, I got to cut off Fox, CNN, ABC, HIJK, Elemental P, and give me the word of God that is able to save and sanctify my soul. I need the church of the living God. It is not optional. It is essential. And yes, I know, I know you are the church, but something powerful happens when we gather together. And shout out to all of you online. I'm thankful that this message can go around the world, but if you can, get your face in the place because something powerful happens. I'm all about being saved. Do it, but you got to get with some saints and worship God. Oh, you should have seen my face today being able to say, here's my worship and sing with y'all today. Some of y'all were off key, but I didn't care because it was awesome it's to worship with the saints of God. I'm telling you, I took that for granted in 2020 because yes, I am alone on this stage. I am alone. It's lonely up here. It's just me and some Christmas trees and some stars hanging, but it is not as lonely as it was during the pandemic when I was preaching to empty sanctuaries, looking into the abyss of darkness, staring at a camera lens, hoping that what I was saying on this side was resonating on the other side. It was lonely. So let me say, I'm glad your face is in the place. I'm glad I can see your face. Even if you got a mask on, I'm glad I can see your eyes. Just smile at me. And I was thinking about that, the fact that I can see you, because I actually have a vantage point that none of you have in this room. I have a vantage point that none of you have, because I can see you. You can see me. Matter of fact, if I turn around and look at this big old screen, I can see me. What's interesting is that you can't see you. I want you to think about that for a minute. You have no idea what you look like right now. Like, you know what you look like when you left the house. You know what you look like if you stopped in the bathroom at one of the campuses or here, but you don't have a clue 
what you look like right now because you can't see yourself. Look at you, got the nerve, the audacity to talk about, ooh, new year, new me, and you can't even see you right now. You don't know what you look like. Right? I do, but you don't know what you look like. Am I the only one? You ever experienced the phenomenon of eating lunch and having kale salad and getting home at 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the evening to look in your bathroom mirror at the end of the day and see a big old piece of kale in between your teeth. He's like, hold on, I had that at 12 o'clock in the afternoon and talked to at least 40 people. Didn't nobody want to tell me that I had a big old piece of kale in between my teeth? Oh, I know it, because you can't see yourself. And I think that's important, especially as we stand in a new year, because you cannot change what you cannot see. Uh, you cannot transform what you are unaware of. So many people start the new year talking about, I got a new year's resolution. You might just need a new year's revelation and new year's recognition of the things in your life that need to be changed because you can't see yourself. You can't see you. you. You need perspective. This is why all change in your life is always preceded by self-awareness. You got to be aware of the thing that you need to change. God cannot transform what you are unaware of. Uh, I'll never forget talking to an influential leader one day, and I was just drilling this leader with questions, question after question. And I'll never forget, he stopped and said, Robert, one of the things that's actually helped my leadership is a question that I ask. I said, really? He said, yeah, I asked this question of my wife. I ask it of my kids. I ask this question of the people that I've been privileged to lead. He said, I always ask this question. What is it like to be on the other side of me? What is it like to be on the other side of me? I said, that's a good question. He said, I know. He said, because it's one of the only things I don't have perspective on. He said, I don't know what it's like to be on the other side of me. I don't know what it's like to be my own leader. I don't know what it's like to be married to me. So I have to ask that question to people that I love and care about. And then I have to sit with humility and listen to what they have to say because I can't see myself. I wonder, do you know what it's like to be on the other side of you? Ooh, some of you are like, I don't need a change in this year. I'm good. Okay. I'm a good wife. How do you know? You've never been married to you? Uh, I don't know what she complaining about. I'm a good husband. Ooh, how do you know? You have not been married to yourself. I mean, what's wrong with these kids? I am a good parent. How do you know? You've not been a parent to yourself. Why are, these, why are these employees complaining? I'm a good boss. How do you know? You've never been a boss to yourself. You ought to put an intercom in the break room. You'll find out what it's like to be on the other side of you. And all I'm saying is if we're really going to change, we have to have the humility of heart to say, God, help me in a new year to see what needs to be changed in my life. Oh, don't let me make the drastic mistake of always looking at what other people need to change in their life that I never take time to assess the things in me that need to be changed. Oh, and here lies the problem with the Pharisees. You know what the Pharisees' biggest problem was, who are the star of our text today? Actually, they instigate Jesus in this moment. The biggest problem with the Pharisees is that they were so good with seeing what was wrong with everybody else but they can never see what's wrong with them. That was the, the Pharisee, fair I see, because they were always seeing what was wrong with somebody.
somebody else, but they could never see what's wrong, what was wrong with them. They were real good with microscopes. You ever met microscope people? They can see what's wrong with in detail. Let me tell you what's wrong with them. Now, here's what you need to do. Let me make your New Year's resolution for you. You need to fix this. I mean, they're good with microscopes, but they're horrible at mirrors. They can never look in the mirror and check themselves before they wreck themselves. They can't pull a Michael Jackson and say, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. So Jesus had this way of revealing who they were to themselves, and that's why they always had tension, because Jesus had a way of showing them who they really were. Oh, the Pharisees couldn't stand Jesus. They had so many issues with Jesus. Let's get to really the root of their issue. One of the root of their issues was they were simply jealous. They were just jealous of Jesus. They were jealous of Jesus, watch this, because he was effective. He was effective at doing what he was called to do. And I need to talk to somebody who's about to step into your true calling in 2021. Can I just give you a newsflash? Get ready for people to be jealous of you. Oh, whenever you are effective at doing what God has called you to do, please believe people are going to be jealous. Please believe you will have some haters come your way. Whenever you are effective at your call, whenever you flow in your purpose, people are going to be jealous. They're going to criticize you. In fact, you ought to just get, a, not get, a, get allergic to criticism to where you're like, I'm not even worried about it. It comes with the territory because when you are effective, people will be jealous. They're going to criticize you. Stop crying about it. Stop complaining about it. The only people that don't get criticism are the people who step back and never get into their purpose. But if you're going to get into your purpose this year, you will have to deal with jealous, insecure people. But don't let their jealousy make you shrink back and not do what God has called you to do. As a matter of fact, one writer said that jealousy is the trophy that mediocrity gives to excellence. Ooh, that was so good. I'm going to rewind it and give it to you again. Jealousy is the trophy that mediocrity gives to excellence. When you do what God has called you to do, people will be jealous. They were jealous of Jesus. Not only that, they had issues with Jesus' claims because he was claiming to be the son of the living God. And they're like, come on, Jesus, don't act brand new. We know you came from Nazareth. We know where you came from. You ever met those people in your life? They said, oh, don't act like you all that. I know where you came from. They had problems with his claims to be the Messiah. They also had issues of who he hung out with because, you know, Jesus had a reputation for hanging out with people that had a bad reputation. He was always hanging with sinners. They just loved to hear Jesus preach. And these religious, uh, pretentious Pharisees, they're like, oh, if he was really holy, he would know their past and he wouldn't hang out with them. Those were the issues that they had with Jesus. But do you know what all of the issues that I just mentioned, those weren't the issues that got Jesus on the cross. The biggest issue they had was that he kept doing stuff on the Sabbath. That's what got Jesus on the cross, is that he kept doing stuff on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees did not play with the Sabbath. They were serious about the Sabbath. After all, they had been given the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. It was God himself that showed us all the way in Genesis the power of the Sabbath when he created the world in six days. But on the seventh day, he rested. He took a break from his work to stop working, not because he needed a break, but to show us the power of rest. Because how many know when you rest, that means you are trusting God. And some of you had to learn that in 2020, that there's something 
things you can't control. There's some things that you can't have your hand on and you got to sit back and rest in the sovereignty of a supernatural God that heaven is his throne, the earth is his footstool and even if it's bad, he knows how to work it for your good so you just got to rest and trust him. Oh, but they took issues with the Sabbath. They were serious about the Sabbath. Jesus kept doing stuff on the Sabbath. How many know Jews today are still serious about the Sabbath? Oh, I learned this when I went to Israel. I'll never forget when I went to Israel for the first time, the Holy Land. I went to Israel, and I ran into a problem because I was out sightseeing in Israel, having a good time, and it was hot, so I was drinking a lot of water uh, that day. As a matter of fact, let me, hold on. Drink a lot of water, and I missed the bathroom break. I missed the bathroom thing. I was at Bethlehem having a moment, and I missed the bathroom break. I'm drinking water all day, and so we get back to the hotel, and I had to go, I had to go. So I get off the bus, and I'm running to the elevator at the hotel, and I hit the button, and it opens up, and I go, I think I was like on the eighth floor, and I hit the button. This elevator, I kid you not, stopped on the first floor, stopped on the second floor, stopped on the third floor, stopped on the fourth floor. I got, I got to go bad. Stopped on the fifth floor. On the sixth floor, I passed out. It stopped on the seventh floor. What happened on the seventh floor? Ain't none of your business. Went to the eighth floor. By the time I get off of this elevator, I run into my room, use the restroom, come out. I get the same elevator on the way down. It stopped on every floor on the way down. By the time I got to the lobby, I had an attitude. I said, I need to speak to the manager. I paid a whole lot of money to walk where Jesus walked. And this elevator, they can't fix the elevator at the hotel. It stopped on every floor. I said, I got to talk to the manager. Somebody from our tour group was like, Robert, where are you going? I said, I'm going to talk to the manager because they need to fix the elevator. I paid a whole lot of money to walk where Jesus walked and they can't fix the elevator. They said, oh, Robert, it's the Sabbath. I said, I don't care what day it is. They need to fix the elevator. It stopped on every floor. They said, Robert, that's the Shabbat elevator. I said, I don't care if it's the Shazam elevator. It stopped on every floor and they need to fix it. They said, Robert, you don't understand. We're in Israel. This is the Holy Land. Sabbath is serious. You can't push the button that's work on the Sabbath. So that's why it stopped on every floor. I said, oh, then I started studying the text and found out all the things that they had added, that they had considered work. You all, I won't bore you with all of them, but it was a whole lot. People, you could only take 1,199 steps. If you took the 2,000 steps, you were working and you were breaking the Sabbath. They had all kinds of rules and regulations. You couldn't throw something in the air and catch it with that same hand. You had to catch it with the other hand, because if you catch it with the same hand, that was work on the Sabbath. You couldn't light a candle on the Sabbath. You couldn't write a letter on the Sabbath. You couldn't look in a piece of glass or a mirror on the Sabbath, because you might see a gray hair, and if you pulled a gray hair, that's working. You couldn't wash on the Sabbath, because if you wash, you might spill the water and try to clean it up. It was all kinds of rules that they had added to what God had called ceasing from work, and you sure couldn't heal anybody on the Sabbath, and you couldn't restore anybody on the Sabbath, and in the midst of all of their rules and all of their regulations, whoo, here comes Jesus, who left eternity and stepped into time and put on human skin and had to show them, I'm bigger than your rules and your regulations. I am God and I can do what I want. Oh, he said, I came to break all your rules because I care about people. I came to seek and to save that which is lost. See, some of you have the messed up perspective of who God is. You think God is in heaven with a hammer waiting to bust you upside the head because you broke the rules and messed up. No, I came to tell you that Jesus is the one who actually broke rules to redeem you. He will break rules to restore you. Somebody ought to give him some praise if you believe it in here today. 
He's a God of restoration. He can't help himself. That's what he does. He restores. So all throughout the Bible, you'll see Jesus, almost like he's doing it on purpose, healing people on the Sabbath. And it kept making the Pharisees mad. Oh, can I just give you some of my favorites? Remember Luke chapter 13, there's a woman who's got a spirit of infirmity. And for 18 years, she's been bent over. For 18 years, a spirit of infirmity. Hear me, she can't get herself together. She can't raise herself up. For 18 years, I wonder if anybody knows what it's like to not be able to pull yourself together, to have an issue for a long time that you can't fix. This is the problem with New Year, because sometimes people will come into a new year saying, oh, I just need to help myself. Yeah, self-help. I just need to get myself together. How many of you have come to the conclusion that you cannot help help yourself. It is yourself that got you in the mess you in in the first place. Come on, you can't save yourself. You can't help yourself. You know you are too hashtag jacked up to help yourself. That's why you need a savior. You need a God to do the thing you can't do. Some of y'all acting too bougie. I dare you to give God praise like you know you've been in some situations that you're saying, God, if you don't come through, if you don't make a way, there's no way. 18 years. And one day Jesus encounters her and says, daughter, you are freed from your suffering. You are loosed and set her free. And she got up and started walking like this that day. Only problem was she got healed on the Sabbath. John chapter 5, there's another man who for 38 years, this man is lame. I'm talking about lame, so lame, literally lame. And he would sit by a pool for 38 years and every so often an angel would come and stir the waters, but this man would never be able to get in and get his healing after the water was stirred. So for 38 years, hear me, he missed his moment. You ever felt like you missed your moment? Some of you couldn't even get excited about this new year because the enemy was whispering in your ear talking about, no, maybe in 2017 it was your year, but come on, boo. It's a pandemic now. You've missed your moment. But I came to tell somebody, God is a God of new beginnings. You have not missed your moment. I don't care how long it is. In fact, God says, I'm the only one that can restore the years that the canker worm and the locust ate up. Only God can restore time. Nobody can give you time back like God. God. He can restore the years that were taken away from you. He restores time, but for 38 years, he thought he had missed his moment, and Jesus rolls up on him one day and says, hey, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? See, the Bible is interesting because we don't get vocal intonation. It's not like you can push play and hear what Jesus' vocal intonation sound like. So I'll never forget when I first preached that text in John chapter 5, I was younger. I was younger, and I had an attitude with this dude. I was like, bro, for real? 38 years? You can't get your life together by 38? I mean, come on, man. By 38, you should have at least rolled by the pool and been close to just get in. Oh, I had no grace, no compassion on this dude. So I said Jesus asked it with an attitude like, uh, do you want to get well? Like Jesus was annoyed with the people that he was about to heal. Ooh, but now I'm close to 38, and I know what it's like to have some issues that you're still working on. So now I understand Jesus wasn't asking with an attitude. He was asking with the vocal intonation of a brand new year and a brand new opportunity. Say, oh, do you want to get well? Because guess what? You have a moment right now to get the thing you've been waiting for. Do you want to get well? Because I'm about to do it. 
Oh, is there anybody in here that has expectation in spite of all you've been through that this is your year to receive everything that God has for you? Oh, you ought to give him some praise like you got expectation for it. Do you want to get well? Do you want your child healed? Do you want your family restored? This is the moment. And he got up and he started walking. Only problem was it happened on the Sabbath. It's another dude, John chapter 9. I hope I'm not boring you. This dude, this dude is born blind, blind from birth. And the disciples see him one day and ask the most asinine question. They say, uh, the, the disciples, at the, the church staff members ask this question. He said, oh, Jesus, huh, who sinned for him to be born blind? Who sinned, him or his parents? What a dumb question. Why, why are you narrowing this man's suffering? to something he did or his parents did. They gave that as if that's the only option. Wait, who sinned? We know it's sin. That's the problem. He's got to be suffering because of that. Who did it? Him or his parents? And Jesus looks at them and is like, uh, neither. His suffering has nothing to do with something he did. Oh, that's important for somebody to hear today. That not all suffering in your life is a consequence of something you did. This is where the enemy will come in your mind, especially after a year like 2020, and you'll start going, is it something I did, Lord? Is it something that I did that's making this suffering happen in my life? That is not true. That is not always the case. Now, sometimes it is. Amen. <laughs> sometimes it wasn't the devil. It was a decision. Yeah, boo-boo. You text him back. You knew he wasn't no good, and now you're like, God, the devil is no. That's not the devil. That's you responding to the DM, okay? So... <laughs> See, that wasn't even my note, so I know that was for somebody right there. <laughs> some stuff is a decision. Wasn't the devil. But some suffering is just part of the fact that we live in a fallen and a broken world. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not him or his parents. He said, but guess what? This happened so the glory of God could be revealed. He said, yes, it happened. I didn't cause it, but guess what? I'm going to use it to get some glory out of it. Oh, can somebody testify that last year you went through some stuff and God's going, I didn't cause it, but I'm sure going to use it to get the glory out of it. He didn't cause this pandemic, but how many you know he is using it to get the glory out? of it. He's going to get the glory out of your life. He's going to get the glory out of the church. Come on, this is the church's finest hour because God's going to use all of this to get the glory out of it. He can get glory out of your suffering. Paul said, all oh, that I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering, the power of his resurrection, there is a glory that God can only get out of your life when you go through some stuff, when you go through some junk. And he said, that's why this happened. So he makes a mud sandwich. I mean, breaks all kinds of COVID restrictions, spits in mud, puts it in his eyes, tells him to go wash. And this man gets his sight. Only problem was he got his sight on the... So the Pharisees make a connection. Huh. So he keeps restoring stuff. He can't help but restore. 
There's somebody broken. He's going to restore it, and he'll do it on the Sabbath. So they made it their mission to start watching him. Remember, fair I see. They said, we're going to watch him, make sure he don't do anything on the Sabbath. In the text I read, all that was my introduction. And they, they start stalking. They're in a grain field, and they're stalking Jesus to see if he's going to break a Sabbath law. Stalking him and his disciples. Can you see them in a grain field hiding? They're literally stalking him. Literally. They're stalks of grain. They are stalking. I'm trying to wake some of y'all up. They're stalking. Just be quiet. Trying to see. It trips me out because they don't even like Jesus. They don't like him. But they're following him. They don't like him. They can't stand him, but they steady following him. Some of y'all miss your place to shout. They don't like him, but they still follow him. This is what I don't understand about today in social media. If you don't like me, why are you following me? You know you can hit unfollow, right? Oh, but in the funny, there's nothing new under the sun. From the Bible days to today, people will not like you. They steady following and watching. And I want you to see religion versus relationship. Religion, shh, shh, be quiet. Following, stringent, face looking all constipated while they stalking. Shh, let's watch them. And look at Jesus with the disciples. Relationship. They just having a good time hanging with Jesus laughing. You do know this kingdom is a kingdom of joy. Some of you need to tell your face that, especially this year. This is a kingdom of joy. I know the enemy took some things in 2020, but don't you let him take your joy. And you do know that joy has nothing to do with your circumstance. It has nothing to do with what's coming against you. Come on, joy is a fruit of the spirit. You can be going through hell, but still have joy well up on the inside of you. Somebody's got to get their joy back this year. Hallelujah! Look at the disciples just having a good time. They laughing, talking about Jesus, man. You can preach, man. Oh, you good now. You long-winded. You long-winded, but man, you can preach. You didn't even get to eat today. You were preaching so long and healing people. I'm telling you, you're good. He's like, man, we are hungry. Can we? He's like, well, you got some grain here. He's like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm tripping, and they just grabbing grain. No, my Jesus, man. It's good, man. Hanging with you. And as soon as they grab that grain and eat, here come the Pharisees. Ah! They're like, were y'all watching us the whole time? Yes, we were, and we saw it. And I can see it. I can see the disciples grain in their mouth like. And they want to say something, but they're eating. I can see Jesus going, don't even worry about it. Don't, shh. Just don't, I got you. And just says, let me take, let me take care of them. Let me take care of them. How many of you know this is your season to learn what to respond to and what to ignore? This is your season this year to learn what to reply to and what to say nothing to. Sometimes you just got to stand still and let the Lord fight your battles. He is the one that will defend you. You ain't got to say nothing. Just keep eating. Especially before this fast starts, so... They're eating. And Jesus goes, I, I got it. Peter, keep eating. I got you. He goes, have y'all not read when David was hungry and he ate the bread 
that was unlawful for him to eat, that was only reserved for the high priest. Y'all didn't read that? Ooh, Jesus throwing shade at him because he knew they had read it. These are the guys that got the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. They knew the word. But how many know there's a difference between knowing the word and knowing the author? There's a difference between knowing the letter of the law and having the spirit of the law. And they were so religious. They were so busy trying to keep up with the word that they knew that they had elevated their programs and customs over people. And he said, don't you ever put your programs over people. Don't you ever put your conduct code over having compassion over people that are hurting and broken. They had missed it. Because their hearts had gotten hard. And Jesus calls it out. And he takes them, watch this, from the grain field to the synagogue. And again, it's the Sabbath. And he's preaching in the synagogue. And here come the Pharisees again. And I can see them in the synagogue, watch this, in the church, looking for broken people. Because they know he can't help but restore. I can see them looking like, you see anybody messed up in here? Yeah, no, he good, he good, no, he's good. I can see them because they know he's going to bring restoration. So they are scanning the church for messed up people. This is why the church ought to have broken people in it. I don't know when the church became this museum for people to walk in looking like they got it all together. Don't get it twisted. This is a hospital for broken people. It's a hospital for people who know they got issues and know they got flaws and don't got it together. But they're searching after a God who can restore Oh, we got to fix some stuff in the church. This ain't a place for you to walk in like you got it all together. Oh, I wish you could come on down to Dallas, Texas, where I'll be tonight. Something my wife has started called Social Dallas. We meet in a rock concert venue in the middle of downtown Dallas on one of the most party streets in Dallas, right next to hookah bars and tattoo parlors, and we're in there giving it God all the glory. Every week, we got people walking in drunk and high time. What's y'all's cover charge? We're like, it's free. Come on in. And God is changing their life what the church is supposed to be. You're supposed to have some people in the lobby smell like they got a little Hennessy on their breath. You're supposed to have some people act like they've been smoking some stuff before. I can see him looking for broken people because they know he's going to do something about it. And all of a sudden, they go, oh, got one. I'm like, where? Third row to the back. You know, he always comes in late. Like, who is that? That's the Pharisees talking. That's Willie. Willie? You know Willie with the withered hand. <laughs> oh, that is Willie. <laughs> he always comes in late. Sure enough, that's Willie with a withered hand. Willie comes in late and hides it. It's funny you laughed at that, Willie with the withered hand. Because I found out that's actually what people do. People will identify people by their issue. They'll define you by your dysfunction. Oh, you know that's Sally, the alcoholic. Oh you, oh, you know that's Kelly. She on her eighth husband. Oh, you know that's, that's Fred. You know, he cheated on his taxes. He did time in jail. You, people will define you by one moment in your life. Willie with the withered hand. They don't call him the man with two good legs. <laughs> the man with one good hand. No. It's the man with the withered hand. If you're not careful, if other people don't do it, you'll start to do it to yourself. 
defining yourself by one mistake, defining yourself by one moment in your life, something you did in five minutes, you're going to define your life by it for the next 15 years? The man with the withered hand. I don't think he came expecting to get healing that day. No, he just came to hear a cute message. Because if he was expecting to get healing, how many know he would have said something? Oh, he would have said something. The Bible is replete with examples. Any person that was broken, that truly believed God had the power to do it, they said something because they knew he couldn't miss. He's 10 for 10 when it comes to miracles. People that were blind said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. A woman with the issue of blood said, move, 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 move. Get out the way. I mean, people that knew he could restore would say something because they knew he had the power to do it. But he didn't say anything because a withered hand is different. It's not like a leg that's paralyzed is not like being blind or being deaf. You can still function with a withered hand. Matter of fact, I went to high school with a man, a boy who had a withered hand. He was actually the star of our football team. And he would carry the ball in one hand and his other hand was withered because the withered hand represents the thing you've learned to live with. You've learned to live with the dysfunctional marriage. You've learned to live with that addiction. You've learned to live with it, and you've had it for so long. You're saying, God, there's nothing that can be done. I just learned to live with it. But God told me to tell you on this new year, the thing you have learned to live with, that's what he wants to bring restoration to. The thing that you think there is no hope for, he wants to restore that. Jesus looks at him and the Pharisees are looking at him too. And the Pharisees notice Jesus notice him. And Jesus notices them, noticing him, notices him. And the Pharisees are looking like, you, you better not, it's the Sabbath with their eyes. You better not, it's the Sabbath. And Jesus is looking at them like, oh, you don't think I will? I don't care about the Sabbath. <laughs> Stand up in front of everyone, calls this man out and then asks the Pharisees a question. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy a life? Think about this. Jesus has all power. He can heal this man any way he wants. You understand that. When you have all power, you can heal people any way you want. He could have snapped his finger and healed this man. He could have spoken the word and healed this man. He could have put an I dream of genie and just wiggled his nose and healed this man. He has all power, so that means the way he heals every miracle is a parable. God is trying to teach you something with a miracle. What is he teaching us? He says, stand up in front of everyone. Then looks at the Pharisee and says, is it lawful to save a life or to destroy one? to do good or to do evil. There's only one way to answer that question. See, because the Pharisees were so good at taking what was so simple like rest and making it complex. That's what religion does. It makes that which is simple so complex and adds all these rules and regulations. But can I tell you what grace does? Grace takes that which is complex and makes it simple. That's what Jesus was doing. He said, let's reduce it to this. Should we save a life or kill a life on the Sabbath? Thank God for grace. Grace makes the complex simple. Even God, when we had all the law and Ten Commandments, Jesus shows up and said, let me reduce it from 10 to 2. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself, because grace will make the complex simple. He said, which is it? 
do good or do evil. And they remained silent. Had nothing to say. Hold on, Pharisees. You had a lot to say about them picking grain, but you have nothing to say about somebody that's hurting and broken. You have nothing to say. That's the problem with religious people. They'll be loud about certain issues, but real quiet about other issues. Nothing to say. So Jesus was angered at their stubborn hearts because we're seeing an illustration through the healing. You do know that your heart and your hand are connected. Anything you do with your hand first started in your heart. And we're looking at a man with a hard hand and a man and Pharisees with a hard heart. He's the one that's got a shriveled withered hand. They have a shriveled heart. And he was trying to get them to do what he was ultimately about to ask that man to do. He says, stretch forth your hand. I want you to stretch out the thing that you have learned to live with. I want you to stretch out the dream that you have given up on. I want you to stretch out even in a new year, even though you had some things die last year. I want you to stretch forth your hand. I don't know who this message is for today, but God is telling you on this first Sunday of the year you got to stretch out the thing that you have learned to live with and I know the man had to be thinking Jesus if I could stretch this hand out I would have stressed it a long time ago but God's saying no there's a difference now because the fact that I'm asking you to stretch it means that I'm giving you the power to do it because in every commandment God gives you he'll also give you the power to do it come on he wouldn't ask you to do it if he wasn't going to give you the strength and the grace to do it he wouldn't ask you to trust him in 2021 if he wasn't going to give you the strength and the grace to trust him. Come on, is there anybody in here that says this is my year to get restoration so I got to stretch I got to believe again. I got to dream again. I got to hope again. Your restoration will come in the stretching. Somebody give God some praise in this place today. Oh, come on, would you stand on your feet across every campus, even in your living room? I want you to give God the best praise that you got. Like you're believing this is your year to receive restoration. Hallelujah. Dream again. Believe again. As he stretched, he was healed. As he stretched out, it was completely restored. He was trying to get the Pharisees to do with their heart what the man did with their hand because restoration always starts in your heart. This year, God wants to give you a new heart, a new heart for a new year. Where does restoration start? It starts in your heart. I'm going to ask every head be bowed, all eyes closed in this place today. Some of you, the work and the restoration you're looking for is for God to do something externally and believe me, he will. But God always starts healing from the inside out. Restoration starts in your heart. He wants to rid your heart of the bitterness, of the unforgiveness. Some of you, you need a new heart this year. Some of you hear me, if you're honest, you're so angry at God. 
of what you went through last year and you can't even believe this year and God said, would you give me, let me give you a new heart to trust me again, to believe again. A new heart for a new year. Because if restoration starts in your heart, I'm telling you, it will manifest in your hand. But God wants to heal what's broken on the inside first. So heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this place today. If you'd be so honest to say, Pastor Robert, this message is for me. I need restoration, but I need it to start in my heart. A new heart for a new year. I'm speaking specifically and especially rather to somebody who has allowed bitterness and unforgiveness to harden your heart. And it's affecting your life externally. Maybe it's to other people. Maybe it's towards God. Because you stepped out last year and 2020 knocked the air out of your lungs and God's saying, let me give you a new heart for a new year. Let me restore what the enemy tried to steal away. Your suffering is going to produce the glory of God. Heads bowed, eyes closed, but if this message is for you and you say, I need a new heart for a new year, would you just lift up your hand as a sign to say, this is for me. This is for me. The restoration I need is in my heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Lift it up and put it right back down. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm talking to those of you in here today or watching online or maybe even at another campus who say, you know what? I've not surrendered my life to Jesus this year. I can think of no better time than on the first Sunday of the year where so many people are having resolutions that are going to be broken in two weeks. You can truly have a new you. But a new you doesn't come from self-help or you making promises that you're going to break. A new you comes from a finished work of a Savior who said it is finished, who paid the ultimate price for your sin. And today... This first Sunday of the year, you can truly have a new you as you surrender your life to him. If that's you, heads about eyes are closed, but you say, I need to give him my life today. Would you just lift up your hand as a sign to say, I'm giving you my life. Across every campus, I'm talking to you at Redbug on Michigan Street. I'm talking to you right there in your house. There's a reason you have not logged off. God says, do not start this new year without me. You cannot do life without me. Anybody else lift it up, put it right back down. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Here's what I want to do where there's plenty of space in this sanctuary, if you lifted up your hand or you should have lifted up your hand because this is a new year and I truly believe something powerful happens when you leave where you are and you step into a new place. In the physical, it is a picture of what God's doing in the supernatural. It says the old me is staying behind but the new me is ready to receive the new heart that he has. Come on, if you lifted up your hand or you should have, I just want you to be so bold and so brave just to come to this altar, get as close to this altar as you can. If you lifted up your hand or you should have, God wants to give you a new heart for a new year. That's where restoration starts. Don't worry about what somebody's going to think about you. This is between you and your God. He said, this year, this year, this year, I want to give you a new heart. That heart that's gotten so hard, that's gotten so cold, let me breathe life back into it. Come on, come on. Oh, you can have it all, Give us a new heart for a new year, Jesus. A new heart for a new year. That's where restoration starts. And take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. Come on, all over this place, let's declare this. You can have it. You can have it all, Lord. 
You can have my heart. You can have my heart. Oh, 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 you can have my heart. You can have my heart. Say, oh, 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 have my heart. Can have my heart, God. This year, we give you our hearts. God, breathe life back into the dead places. Breathe life back into low expectations. Breathe life back into dreams. Breathe life back into the word you've spoken over our lives. God, remind us that you are not a man. You cannot lie. Your promises are yes and amen. So we stand on the word that you spoke in our hearts. You can have our hearts again. Hallelujah. Just with hands lifted across every campus, just before Pastor Johnny comes, we're gonna allow you to linger in this altar, but I just want you to seal it with this prayer, especially those of you who responded by saying, Lord, I'm giving you my life this year. Just real soft. Will you pray this prayer? I'm gonna give you the words, but you say it from your heart, from your heart. Say, dear Jesus, my hands are lifted because I surrender. I cannot do life without you you are my life so Jesus today I give you my heart I give you my dreams I give you my hopes I give you this year I'm believing you and I trust you for complete restoration complete restoration but help me to stretch. I will do what you say. This moment forward, all that I am is yours. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.